Okay, hello there, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. Hope y'all are doing well down in the 519. <laughs> and the 226. <laughs> I don't know about you, Peter. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm I a bit introed out because I, I put up these uh, podcast versions of all our board interviews on the other show all, with all the board candidates. And I, 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 I did like six intros in a row. And so by the end, it kind of lost all meaning. <laughs> Well, that's that's what happens with politics, right? <laughs> you do it till it loses all meaning. <laughs> exactly. What a great setup for today's movie. Um, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new psychological thriller, Don't Worry Darling conspicuously missing a comma there between worry and darling but that's okay um so yeah you can see don't worry darling in a theater near you and that will be in the back half of the show now at the center of don't worry darling is some kind of conspiracy so we decided it'd be fun to spend the first part of our show this week to talk about other movies we like that also involve a conspiracy Right, Peter? Right. Let's <laughs> do this. I had more difficulty with conspiracy because when you type it in, it's... Uh, <laughs> it, are, do you mean like dystopian, like types of horrors? It's a very uh, a broad term, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what you picked. I'm, I'm just concerned now that you just Googled conspiracy and now you believe in all sorts of things. No, 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 no. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> Peter's very impressionable, as we all know. <laughs> I don't know if you laughed there, but I hope you did, because I was uh, I was trying to be funny. Um, so, Peter, uh, I am curious, actually very curious to know what uh, titles you've selected, given your difficulty narrowing it down to a type of conspiracy. But uh, why don't you begin with your number one pick for us? Okay, so my number one pick is, uh, even if people haven't seen the film, they've probably read it, uh, 1984, right? Mm -hmm. I uh, picked it because even though, yes, it's a dystopian, it is based around a conspiracy theory that John Hurt, as Winston Smith holds, and that uh, anybody that does hold it towards, you know, the big brother deals with some immense issues and then uh, this isn't a spoiler it's you know if you didn't read it you didn't go to school you find at the end that you know he's not wrong that everything you know was a lie and uh, the conspiracy theory was right and uh i just enjoy when when that's what happens because there is you know a conspiracy theory when people use it it makes it sound you know like like you're crazy mm. but it just means there isn't 100% proof. That doesn't mean it's wrong. There's just not 100% yet, right? So I find it interesting in the film when uh, they turn out to be right. Um, and I think just 1984 all around is, even if you've read the book, it's, it's outstanding, right? It's one of the best dystopians there are. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though Harry Potter's amazing, I'm not going to lie, I would say uh, Winston Smith is my favorite performance from good old John Hurt. So uh, yeah, when it comes to conspiracies, I would recommend 1984. I'm sorry, are you elevating uh, Harry Potter above Alien? Uh, 
when it comes to my personal <laughs> opinion of films, yes. Because, you know, nobody, you know, did something bursting out of the chest better than John Hurt in that original movie. Uh, okay. Oh, I also, the one, one of the main reasons I picked this film, 1984, mm-hmm. it was released in 1984. It's a small thing, that's genius. That's, you know, it's easy, but they did it. They did it. It was like, uh, I don't know, actually, if they did, I don't remember. Uh, if there wasn't in 2001, like a re-release of uh, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, like, mm-hmm. what was there? Do you have memory of that? I don't believe there was. I, I should say that. I should. I yeah. should <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of concern about Y2K. Um, no, uh, it, it's interesting you should note that because I'm not 100% sure. That does, some, that does feel like something they should have done. But I mean, I think. 2001 gets pretty steady rotation in the in the 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 repertory uh rounds so it maybe it wasn't i don't know i have to think long and hard about that interesting about the film 1984 though uh it seems like they turned it around pretty quick um the director apparently sought the rights in the winter of 1983 so I guess he was. I guess he had that in mind. It was like when they made Dracula 2000, and then Wes Craven was like, "Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Dracula 2000?" I mean, maybe it was one of the wise. Oh scenes. yeah, no, it was planned. Uh, <laughs> that actually be more fascinating if it was just happenstance. It ended up being 1984, but no, no, I think it was definitely part of it. Yeah, yeah, a small thing, but I think something quite grand. Also, Richard Especially Branson when... helped fund it. Cool. Good yeah. for him. Good yeah. on. And My with... respect for him has risen. <laughs> he used his money for some good for once. Um, also, Roger Deakins cinematography. So this is yeah, it's pretty stacked. I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen the movie 1984. I've certainly read 1984, but I don't think I've ever seen the movie. So it's it's the kind of film that is pretty much just like page for page, but it's mm. the kind of novel that it's at a length where where that works that that can be filled into mm-hmm. you know about two hours. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would recommend it, okay. especially if you like the book. Yeah, good. All right. Uh, I, I think there is a criterion of it, too, so I might revisit it at some point or visit it for the first time, I should say. Um, this is one I recently revisited. Um, speaking of revisiting things, it's from 1962. It is a John Frankenheimer movie, and it is called The Manchurian Candidate. And it is a... You know, it, when I was thinking about my list, just to sort of set the scene, um, I don't know if this is something you intentionally did with your list, Peter, but I was thinking a lot about the conspiracy theories in like the real world and sort of like where the roots are and like how maybe life imitated art, imitated life kind of thing. And so one of these is like the Manchurian Candidate I'm thinking about here. It, it came out. On October the 24th, 1962, literally days after the completion of the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, almost a year and a month to the day that John F. Kennedy himself would be assassinated. Mm. Um, So you have all these things going on. It's based on a novel, which is about uh, a soldier uh, in Korea who him and his platoon um, are taken captive and the one of the 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 soldiers it was played by Lawrence Harvey, who's a, didn't go on to greatness as an actor, although he works steadily all through his career. But he's very good in this. Uh, the sergeant is brainwashed 
uh, to become a sleeper agent. He's very well connected. His father is a famous senator who has presidential ambitions. His mother is uh, played by Angela Lansbury, and she's kind of guiding his father's career uh, as, uh, I guess, kind of the, the the power behind the throne. It's kind of very Game of Thronesy as well, I guess, in that respect. One of the other soldiers captured with uh, Sergeant Shaw is uh his commanding officer captain marco who gets promoted but he's played by frank sinatra and he comes to think that something is wrong with both sergeant shaw and the story of what happened to them and the the weakened change that they were missing and uh he eventually does discover that shaw has become a double agent um triggered by of all things the image of the queen of diamonds and uh so you know, it, it's quite the cat and mouse game trying to figure out, you know, on, on Marco's part who the double agent is, and then on the part of Sergeant Shaw, uh, how he's being manipulated, who's manipulating him, and what the ultimate plan is uh, in terms of how it's going to be. And it seems that like the plan is to uh, essentially kill Shaw's father uh, his way to the top. Uh Shaw's father is a senator who has these like McCarthy-like leanings and wants to take America in- down authoritarian roads, ironically to stamp out communism, which of course uh, Shaw has been brainwashed by the the communist uh, pact between uh, Russia and China. And the puppet behind it all is is none other than the the Angela Lansbury character. Quite different if you only know Angela Lansbury from the voice of Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast or her Murder, She Wrote years. Does it uh, make it, it better knowing that or not knowing that? <laughs> um, does it make it better knowing it's Angela Lansbury? Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, it's a reminder that Angela Lansbury had a very long career where she played some not-so-nice characters, too. Um, but it's interesting to sort of see her as as a, as a master villain. So it's um, a good part of her history as a, a film actor. It's you a gotta, part you gotta of, see yes. her. Yeah, it's a part of her you gotta say, okay. It's a part okay. of our heritage. But, you know, it is interesting to to look back at that because it's it's not like that she clearly resembles Hillary Clinton, but I think you can also look back at, you know, a lot of these sort of misogynistic tendencies about women um, in politics. I think you can probably trace that a lot of to the Manchurian candidate about this one woman who's moving, you know, pieces around like a chess player. Um, you know, Angela Lansbury also had short blonde hair as Hillary Clinton has in most of her uh, political career. So, you know, you can sort of see, how um, politicians of a certain stripe have never learned to trust uh, an ambitious woman with short blonde hair if they're in politics. So, Have you read the book? Is there a comparison? You get better? Is it worse? I have not read the book. I did see the Denzel movie. Uh, they remade it. Uh, I think it was Jonathan Demme did in 03, 04 in like the immediate aftermath of the war on terror. And it's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, it's not a shot for shot remake, but it's, it's pretty good. It's uh, I don't have the, the, the cast in front of me but i think it's meryl streep in the angela lansbury role and um what's his face from scream uh what maybe. matt dillard or uh or lillard or, or oh leave schreiber yeah, leave schreiber. Schreiber, right. yeah he plays yeah. the lawrence harvey part and uh denzel is the frank sinatra part so it's i mean the cast is good in that too and it's a little bit different obviously because it's updated for the modern era but the book no um it is not um, 
on my my bookshelf waiting for me to get around to it one day <laughs> that's okay i think uh well the well who wrote it richard condon he'll be okay he'll be fine he'll be okay okay <laughs> good to know all right let's get to your um number two pick okay so number two for me and i just think all around it could be on so many of my lists, uh, mm-hmm. including underrated Scorsese's uh, mm. Shutter Island. I think it's it's outstanding. It's pretty much just uh, the whole film, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and he's got a conspiracy theory that they're all out to kill him and hate him on this Shutter Island, right? And uh, what I like about it is it's the exact opposite of the one I discussed prior where mm. the conspiracy turns out to be true. Mm. Leonardo DiCaprio's conspiracy theory is a conspiracy theory. He's He's not correct. He's crazy. It's all wrong. You know, I'm sorry again if I spoiled it. It came out 12 years ago. That's on you. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's, uh, I think, uh, underrated, especially because of all Martin Scorsese's films. It has a very distinct visual standout. They all do. But this one, I find it's it's so much more dark Mm. and excluded to a singular location than many of his other works. Um, And it's it's just... uh, it itself works for the plot and uh, him being trapped on the island. Um, and I'm I'm a sucker. I think a lot of people are for you know psychiatric wards and mm. and those kinds of characters, um, especially when they're portrayed in a better way. But it, it's enjoyable. Uh, One floor of the cuckoo's nest is great. This is you know it's a lot like that. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's a pretty remarkable film. Uh, and I I personally am not even a huge Mark Ruffalo fan, but I will admit he's quite great in it mm-hmm. and uh i am a ben kingsley fan sir ben kingsley my apologies <laughs> and he's uh main main in it he's the and i'm using finger quotes here villain mm. right um and yeah i think it's just a a really good in-depth it also regarding conspiracy theories that's the main it's just him and you looking at it and how he creates it mm. it shows more than other films how people why they form conspiracy theories and as it shows at the end a lot of the time it's to hide something else right so i thought that was cool i think uh shatter island even more than some other scorsese's has some you know points to tr- it's trying to make and i think one of those includes conspiracy theories and uh its connection with um me- mental illness mm. So yeah, also, maybe I'm digging too deep here in Scorsese's film, but I think Shutter <laughs> Island is underrated and definitely a uh, important film towards conspiracies. Mm-hmm. And also part of the great um, Dennis Lehane uh, period of Hollywood, where they're adapting several of his books in quick succession, um, including Mystic River and, and Gone Baby Gone. So mm-hmm. there's. Uh, there's that kind of vibe to it as well. I have, admittedly, I haven't seen Shutter Island since it came out, um, and I remember being disappointed because I had figured it out. It was all in his head before. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> Within See, moments I, I, of him I landing, was pretty, I was young when I saw it, so maybe <gasps> that's part of the reason. I also, I, I was a huge, huge lover of uh, Watchmen mm. and uh, Jack Earl Haley. Um, Rorschach, he's uh, he's decently main in Shutter Island, so that that pulled mm-hmm. me in. Mm-hmm. I'll admit that that pulled me in. Yeah, he, I mean, that was part of the um, he's a great man, the Jackie Earl Haley Renaissance, too. All right, so my number two is um, 
from the 70s. I did one from the 60s, and I'm doing one from the 70s. And I chose this one because uh, I think you can explicably tie um, any conspiracy about faking the moon landing to this one. Uh, it is called Capricorn One. It is from writer-director Peter Himes, uh, who would go on to helm one of my favorite uh, Y2K movies, End of Days. But... Um, personal favorite i realize it's not a great movie but uh capricorn one i think objectively is a really great movie it is about a uh nasa mission to mars that is actually faked it's faked on a hollywood soundstage um it is a conspiracy on the part of nasa to keep uh to keep its funding secure uh, to avoid any uh disasters they they pull the astronauts from the capsule at the last minute because they've detected a flaw in the rocket that they're sending to Mars. So instead of risking the lives of the astronauts, they fake the Mars landing. And then uh, the capsule is actually destroyed. The flaw is made apparent when the capsule reenters uh, Earth's atmosphere. And the uh, the three astronauts put two and two together that uh, if... They, if fake them have been killed, then the real them will, must also be killed. Uh, granted, Capricorn 1 does, um, you have to swim upstream against the fact that O.J. Simpson is one of the three astronauts. But um, it is a great actor's movie, too. It, it, it has James Brolin and Sam Waterston as the other two astronauts. Elliot Gould is the reporter. Um who, who starts to put all the pieces together and Hal Holbrook is the evil NASA administrator, which is uh, a, a role you don't hear about too often. Um, Telly Savalas is also in this as like a crop duster who helps the, the reporter along the way. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's got all kinds of things, but at the center of this, it's, it really takes advantage. It came out in 78. So it comes in like sort of after a, like a lot of these paranoid thrillers, of of the 70s so like the parallax view all the president's men um it also has a bit of like north by northwest in there some pretty decent action so it it, ha it has a lot going for it it's it's a it's a conspiracy thriller um you know great acting great uh you know great production design great effects uh just it, it and then you know you have a lot of these really great characters who you you are rooting for even though and, and that's the key to a really great conspiracy theory movie is is that you have to really feel like the characters are not going to get out of this situation and there are some moments when you think the conspiracy will be successful in capricorn one but uh it is a good it i think it holds up it's it's clearly a commentary on the space age and a commentary on the Watergate age. Um, but it's, it still holds up. I think how main is OJ Simpson? Does that part hold <laughs> up about it? I mean, it once, I mean, he's like the third out of the three astronauts, okay. um, but I, I mean, it's, can you still watch naked gun movies with OJ in them? That's yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'd say watch uh, the film Adam's discussing if you are still able to watch Naked Gun. <laughs> Capricorn one. That's it. Yeah. All right, Peter, let's get to your number three. Okay, so and I was surprised. Uh, I'm glad but that it was on a lot of the lists. Mm. Makes absolute sense. Uh, mm. The film 
Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Because Malcolm himself, understandably near the end, has the worry of Elijah Muhammad, Farrakhan X, and the Nation of Islam all around uh, attacking him, right? Mm-hmm. And then they do. Mm-hmm. They they kill him. But we, there's been no proof that it's them, right? We don't mm-hmm. know that for sure, even though it's definitely Louis Farrakhan, the still-kicking Louis Farrakhan, <laughs> who killed Malcolm X, but I guess that's a conspiracy. And uh, Spike Lee in the film really really does that well. He really... Uh, he really displays what happened and who it is without, as unfortunately is, you know, the case in reality, us knowing for sure. Like, we don't see Louis Farrakhan set it up and everything, but we are given a lot of hints at what Malcolm's scared of, and it's very understandable why he is. Um, and just all around, it's an outstanding film. That's why I wanted to include it. It's one of... Uh, one of my favorites and a remarkable biopic. And uh, I think a really interesting way to look at what a conspiracy is and uh, how there can be some truth to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think it can be analyzed even further regarding the nation of Islam's point of view on Judaism and the sources and the religious texts that they view as real, which aren't ice cube, Ice Cube's got a whole thing about it. But what I'm saying is in this (laughs) film, we're also able to see how conspiracy theories can form something as strong as a religion and all of the anti-Semitism and danger that can come from that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. That's why I also, I love, I love Islam, but nation of Islam is not, uh, it's not great. And I think Spike Lee um, shows that well in this film and, intertwines conspiracy theories with the you know reality of uh american history all around you know a huge part of it yeah uh, one night one night in miami kind of dealt with that I, potentially was, too yeah. honestly i regret a bit not not putting it on the list too yeah. for, but it's uh yeah yeah malcolm x one of the most weirdly strongly connected biopics to conspiracy theories and I, being a direct part and I also just looked it up because I, I did have this sort of memory uh, of from the news earlier this year. Muhammad Aziz and Khalil Islam um, were both exonerated for X's murder this year, back in January. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's still raw. It's still like there's no hard answers. Like two of the guys they convicted for this were exonerated. Well, and Farrakhan is still kicking, right? And he's, he's still um, kicking, yeah. He's quoted in... Um... Buster Rhymes' most recent album and Jay Electronica quotes him as well. It's yeah, it's it's pretty. That's another reason I brought it up because it's getting kind of strong again in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of connections to the present, um, th- this is a little bit different from my two other picks, but um, <laughs> because it involves catalytic converters, and I don't know about you, Peter, but I hear in the news all the time about somebody stealing catalytic converters or trying to steal catalytic converters. Um, for the precious metals inside, not because they're trying to help Detroit in the 1970s, which is what the nice guys is about. Uh, the Shane black 2016 crime comedy about a sort of a drunken PI and uh, played by Ryan Gosling. And then kind of like a mercenary for hire played by Russell Crowe. They both get embroiled in this conspiracy involving the Detroit automakers trying to stop the incorporation of uh, catalytic converters into american-made automobiles um this sound when you when you explain the plot like this it sounds very dry but it is actually very very funny 
Um, it's it's kind of noirish, but it's not um, kind of like moody or, or or down on its luck. But it does have a lot of noir elements. Um, Gosling and Crow are such a great pair. It honestly makes me so mad that this was not successful enough to warrant a Nice Guys 2, because I would love to see a Nice Guys 2. Um, also, great cast. You have Kim Basinger in this, Matt Bomer, Margaret Qualley, um, Keith David as well as one of the, the sort of henchmen. Um, but yeah, it's... it's oh, he's dirt- fun. I, I just, uh, yeah, he's great. <laughs> It's yeah, it, he's great. He's the kind of guy not like many people he's my generation know uh know him by name, but he's you've seen him. He's awesome. Keith, yeah, Keith David is one of those guys. It's like, oh, I know that guy from such and such. And 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 uh yeah, so Keith David is great. Everybody's great in this. It's funny. Uh it, it's like a down-to-earth conspiracy. Um, it's also has the virtue of like being true. Like there was a lot of efforts, a lot of pushback from automakers. Uh, against the efforts to try and create less pollution from cars. Um, you know, this is the 1970s. So this is like the beginning of the Earth Day movement and beginning of the environmentalism movement and the creation of the EPA and all of these things um, that we kind of take for granted in the environmental movement. And, you know, there was a lot of pushback at the time. But, at, at, you know, so it, it's a real thing. But at the center of this is just like a sort of nutty crime comedy with Russell Crowe and ryan gosling you know basically interesting falling. interesting pair i wouldn't have uh <laughs> i know i know it, it works out it works out oh it's great uh okay. i i cannot recommend nice guys strongly enough okay if you haven't seen nice guys drop what you're doing and go rent nice guys wherever you get movies i don't know if it's streaming anywhere maybe i'll look that up while we're talking here but yeah it's, it's probably on demand Go oh, buy it. It's definitely on demand, but if you have Netflix or something, it's easier. Just to, almost everybody oh, has Netflix. You got to support so. as much as you can. Go buy it. Well, I, I'm on not. Gonna, I'm, I'm not going to say don't go buy it. I mean, I I do enjoy this movie. Um, so if you want to buy it, go ahead. I think it makes a good blind buy. But if you just want to maybe check it out, um, okay, you can't stream it anywhere on one of the services, but you can get it from Apple, Google, Cineplex, Microsoft, YouTube, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Okay. That's it for this half of the show about these different conspiracies. We're going to dive into next this conspiracy behind Don't Worry, Darling. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Here's probably one of the worst I'm golf sorry, players. Peter, I'm not quite not. finished. Violet, where did you meet Bill? We, we met on a train to Boston. Boston. Yeah. Cute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped your ticket, and he bent down, picked it up, gave it to you, right? It is, yeah. That's how Margaret met Ted. 
And Peg, am I right in thinking that that's how Debbie McIntyre met her husband? Yes, I am. That's how they met. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, I'm, I'm jealous, honestly. It's such wow. a sweet story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not funny the way it's coincidence. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. There are only so many different stories that we're told. We're told what we remember until we try to remember things that they want us to forget. Like Margaret. Alice. No. Jack. It's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. Okay, then. That was a clip from Don't Worry, Darling. It's the new film from Olivia Wilde. And it stars Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Olivia Wilde, Gemma Chan, Kiki Lane, and Chris Pine. Uh, the best Chris, if... Uh, Depending on I, how, I agree. Yeah. depending on how you swing, I think he might be the best, Chris. Uh, I would say so for sure. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, well, that controversy split the rest, and there's certainly a lot of controversy with "Don't Worry, Darling." Uh, the kind of controversy I kind of hate about who's sleeping with who and who's spitting on who, and I'm okay so- with it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, but maybe we can uh, incorporate your thoughts on the gossip with your thoughts about the the movie itself. So why don't you kick us off talking about uh, your actually before you kick us off, I do I feel compelled to be able to discuss this in a fulsome spoilery spoilery way. Of course. So do, I do want to reserve like the last 10 minutes of the show so we can go full dive on spoilers and give people that warning, but uh, in terms of general thoughts about Don't Worry Darling, let her rip. Uh, when it comes to Don't Worry Darling, I was not expecting much. Mm-hmm. And because I had read a lot of the reviews, I knew a lot of people were saying it's a ripoff of, you know, uh, dystopians or whatever that existed prior. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really shocked with Don't Worry Darling. I actually enjoyed it uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. It's um, on my uh, letterbox. It's high up on my uh, ranking list. It's, uh, you know, second or third. So, yeah. Don't worry, darling. I uh, I think, too, for me, and a lot of people already know this, Florence Pugh is amazing in it. She really is. And she's so central. She's in it enough. And that's, you know, that's 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 enough of a positive just to check it out. Mm. And the one thing I vehemently disagree with mm-hmm. that the reviews mentioned, Harry mm-hmm. Styles is great. Mm-hmm. They keep saying he's awful. I thought he was great. He's supposed to be a basic archetypal guy that is just nine to five worker. Just basic, just a basic guy, right? Everyday Joe. He's supposed to be like that. And he does a fantastic job of it. He's, he's more, more a robot than a human, right? He's one of those sad kind of humans and he displays it well. I really don't know what people were, were expecting or wanted from him. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the most uh, flawed parts of uh, what many people are saying. Uh, Harry Styles not doing well because I think he did great. Yeah, so I uh, I loved I loved Don't Worry, Darling. What were your thoughts? Hmm, interesting. Um, they're different from yours. Um, <laughs> uh, Florence Pugh, she's great. Um, I I think she gives it one hundred and ten percent. But I don't think she's given a lot to work with. I think I think this is one of those weird occasions where the thinking was we're going to hire a really great actress who will fill sort of like the emptiness, like the unanswered questions about what's in the script, about who this person is and what's driving them and why they're doing the things they do. 
I think there was the idea that we'll hire a really great actress and she will fill that void with her awesomeness. And I think the script kind of leaves Florence Pugh hanging. And I don't know at, at what point um, it, it kind of leaves or she kind of gets stuck and is, is kind of like sort of left her own devices. I, I, I find that too with the Harry Styles character. I, I, I don't know if I think in this he's bad. I, I don't know if he's a bad actor, but I don't think, again, he's served well by the script because I think um, the nature of this and, and sort of making it almost exclusively from the point of view of the Pew character, um, you don't really get a sense of who the Harry Styles character, his name is Jack. You don't get a sense of, you don't really get a sense of Jack, who he is, what is. That's who he is. He's a nobody. Who cares? Nobody cares about him. Well, he really has to. Yeah, <laughs> you have to sort of care because it's the whole thing. The whole point of the film is about the relationship. If the if the film wasn't about the relationship, I'd say, oh yeah, who cares? Because he's he's almost a nothing presence in this. But the whole thing, the whole meat of the thing is that they have this great love. They have this great relationship. They are so into each other. I mean, I think it's his third scene that we get sort of you know the first you know down and and. Well, it's not down and dirty sex scene, but, you know, it, he comes home from work and it basically like the first order of business is he performs cunnilingus on her. And it's like, well, OK, that's I mean, kudos to him for his his passion for pleasuring his significant other. But it just, you know, what what can you it's tell me about this relationship? That it's it's just supposed to display that, like, even though it's a '50s suburban environment, they're the the haven't had a kid yet young couple who do wacky things like that. You know, I don't get and that kind of thing in the '50s. Was you know a wild ride. I don't. So I think it's just a quick. I think that's the thing. I think a lot of Olivia <laughs> Wilde is trying to display mm-hmm. what you say is missing visually with just small things like that, mm-hmm. and it worked for me. But I can see some people not receiving enough to fully get Florence mm-hmm. Pugh's character and Harry Styles' character and what they are as a whole. I do I do get that. Yeah. I viewed the film more in a, you know, uh Terrence Malick kind of way. There's there's just a lot of Wow. A lot of no, I don't mean necessarily <laughs> that I think maybe the future will be well, but I mean just a lot of visuals that maybe look a bit empty but if if there's there's enough there that you can put Mm. pieces together to the story i like the Um, visuals i think the visuals are where like i I they're outstanding i i I think i think the cinematography i think everything it's uh yeah it had a lot of uh shots that reminded me of um edward scissorhands when they show all the guys going off to work in the morning there was some references to really fun uh displays of the suburban life um except i'd say even uh in an even more properly suburban way with the even brighter environment it it was just really great um i think visually yeah i think the film is technically very skilled very proficient i think this is a great showcase for olivia wilde as a technical director like everything kind of clicks and there are like some really good compelling scenes um there's a scene where Alice, the Florence Pugh character, imagine she's drowning, but it's it's shot in reverse so that like the air bubbles are going into her mouth. And there was something that I found deeply unsettling. It was only a couple of seconds long, but just watching this drowning in reverse, um, 
there was like something very unsettling about it, at least for me, who has sort of like yeah. a, a oh, fear in the back here. of my head about drowning. Um, you know, and then like a lot of these sweet, there's a car chase at the end and there's a lot of these like sweeping shots across the desert. It's just so beautiful. It's so well lit. And the, the cinematographer I want to give credit to, it's, it's uh, Matthew Libatique, who's done a lot of stuff with Aronofsky. So, I mean, there's an eye for talent here. Um, you know, there's an eye for the visuals, for the colors, for like even just down to production design. Um, so I do want to give Olivia Wilde praise for that. I, I just think the script has like glaring holes in it in terms of like character motivation. And one exception, no. Yeah, the the dialogue isn't isn't perfect. Uh, I'll admit that. But uh, I don't yeah. think it was as, as necessary for me as it might be for some. Well, I was going to say the one exception to me and, and that including the dialogue um, is the Chris Pine character. And of course, there's been a lot of commentary about how Olivia Wilde you know, essentially took inspiration from Jordan Peterson. Yeah, but... the Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> the famous University of Toronto psychology professor, which is a yep. sentence, which is a sentence you never say. Um, but, you know, because I think Pine had that that meat to draw from, that sort of character inspiration that he could, like, really find a center to that character. Okay, and, so if the other characters had more of uh, more depth through the script and the writing, you think it'd be even better than it is now? Is that, I think so. If more, were, okay, I get that. I get that. Yeah. If if more uh, characters were like Chris Pine, it would be yeah, it would be a better <laughs> film for sure. <laughs> I just say like Chris Pine is given a lot to work with, which is I don't think the case for a lot of the other actors here. Okay. Um, it he just, is. I I do agree. He's like a standout in the film. He is. Yeah. Uh, He's he's absolutely great. I kind of want him to have a spinoff or something. <laughs> HBO could pick it up. <laughs> Little mini series. I think maybe there should be like a like a, a gag on Kimmel or something where he's like, that'd be fun too. Where That's he's an, re- where yeah. he's reading from like Jordan Peterson's books or something. Um, <laughs> but it's going back to Pine and, and Pew. Like there is a scene where uh, the Jack and Alice are having a dinner party and, and Chris Pine, who's his character is Frank shows up and there's, they have him and Frank and Alice have an exchange where he's explaining, he, he says to Alice that he knows like that she uh, has, is having like this process of discovery about what this community, which is called victory, which is supposed to be like a 1950s company town where all the men work for, some big project what what do they call it they're, they're looking for progressive materials or something like, yeah yeah no there's I, one of the bits is there's there isn't specific details really it's yeah just, it's hope i think hope is faith all that yeah. jazz right and <laughs> but you know he's he's talking to her he's like i know like i know this about you i know that you're looking into this i i know you're you have some doubts and things. And he, and he says like, I've been waiting for somebody like you for a long time to challenge me. And then there's this dinner, dinner theater sequence, this dinner sequence where um, she does try to challenge him and, and he essentially gaslights her. And I was like, yeah, that's a, I think that's a great scene. It's a very uh, long one in the, um, just them all talking to the table. So the, the scene is great. My disappointment is, it doesn't set up anything that comes afterward. You know, I, I he's having this like, it's yeah, this, it's like this hero meets villain moment. 
um, where they see each other for the first time. It's like like you see that you get that moment in every James Bond movie, but then they you, have the dinner and then it goes nowhere after that. And you think it's going to be more of like a back and forth kind of a fight, right? A right. tag kind of thing. Right. Um, but you're right. It doesn't really go further. It's kind of uh, the peak of their um, relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would say for me too, that's probably the biggest flaw that that's kind of a peak, not a leading to a further part of uh, Frank and Alice's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a great scene that even just as, you know, it is, it's still great. It's still, I'm glad it's still in the film, even though it doesn't lead anywhere. It's a good scene. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's just a great addition itself. Um, I also do enjoy not Chris Pine, Frank. I love him, but his wife, <laughs> I enjoy some of the things they do with his wife. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it shows that even uh, uh, an incel like Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the wife who's under control. I actually, Amazon has the one Jordan mm. Peterson documentary and his wife is in it. And it's, it's very, it's very similar. So mm-hmm. I think uh, Olivia Wilde definitely did some, uh, a good amount of research for it. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah, she's familiar with, uh, with Jordan Peterson's wife relationship. Definitely. Interesting. <laughs> Um, I am curious. Uh, Shia LaBeouf was supposed to play the Harry Styles role. See, and I don't think he'd be able to because he has too much depth. We'd we'd, Mm. we'd relate to him too much. He'd have too much uh, energy. You wouldn't believe that he was... What what you find... It wouldn't... Shia LaBeouf, he's just too much of a character. And I don't think Jack Chambers is that kind of guy. So that, yeah, I don't know. Do you think he could have done a better job? No, I, I it's, it's interesting because I, I do think you're right. I think Shia brings a lot of baggage with him uh, as opposed to Harry, who doesn't bring any baggage. But I maybe then maybe the writing could have just been different for Jack Chambers to make it uh, make it better. Maybe even mm-hmm. incorporated like, I don't know, he himself starts having doubt about it or something, you know. Um, I can mm. see people missing Shia, Shia LaBeouf, but I think if Jack Chambers and his, you know, the scripting of him mm. uh, was the exact same as it ended up being, Shia LaBeouf would, would not be able to do that. Yeah, you see, now I'm trying to think of like a middle ground between the sort of like a blank slate like Harry Styles and, you know, someone who has this long history of problematic and just kind of crazy behavior as Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it's like who could who could fill this void like you know i don't know uh i don't know i i'm, I'm drawing a blank it's it's just it, i i don't normally like to sort of like play casting couch but it is because it's been such a big thing about like with the background of you know everything behind the movie you know with this yeah exactly would there be a little would there be a different energy if it was shia like would he be bringing something like could he um if you put him and Florence Pugh together, could they like make something cook uh, acting wise speaking, um, even if Shia doesn't sort of present as sort of the, the typical sort of, I mean, th- that's one thing I'll say about Harry Styles. It's like, he certainly wears the hell out of those 50 style suits and yeah, this is true. This is <laughs> and true. the Ray bands and you yeah. know, he, he looks the part, but yeah, he makes me question everything, you know? <laughs> and um yeah, well, the, hey, then you gotta also give that to the fashion designer. That was pretty. That was that was good for this. That was good. Yeah, um, especially uh, some later things when there's different mm-hmm. costumes. You see, I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, I think it's just <laughs> it's just great all around what they're wearing. 
Um, and you know what? You, you've got me thinking. I think mm. something Shia LaBeouf could have done better mm. is near the end, Jack Chambers, you do see you, you, he gets angry, right? Mm. And mm. I think Shia LaBeouf would be able to do that better, that scene, mm-hmm. and also build up to it in a more appropriate manner. You slowly see the real him start to come out. So I'll admit that I do think Shia LaBeouf could have put more depth of that nature. I Shia can do ugly. And I'm whether that's ugly emotionally or like ugly like outside because you know we do get um, some scenes where where uh, they do have to uh, let's say ugly up uh, Harry Styles. Um, no easy task. Um, maybe a bit easier with Shia LaBeouf, who famously didn't shower for weeks while making Fury. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's wild. I respect him even more now. <laughs> well, you probably wouldn't have wanted to have been in that tank with him by week five or six. Uh, well, he's Shia LaBeouf. I'd do anything for him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Clearly, um, you have a difference of opinion with a lot of his co-stars on that fi- uh, picture. Um, this seems like a good place to sort of enter spoilery material or spoilery areas. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to for this film. Yeah, I concur. And that's why I wanted to sort of set aside the time. So if uh if you don't want to be spoiled about don't worry darling uh you can peace out here fair warning uh maybe i'll stick in a sound effect or something like a like a red alert siren or something (laughs) um (laughs) but uh otherwise uh we will tear into spoilers starting right now um three two one so the, the the the, the twist, as as you revealed in the end, is that the, the men in this world have, uh, as, as it is a world, it's essentially a matrix world where um, they have created a 1950s setting um, so that they can basically enslave the women who have, you know, obviously a lot of modern ideas about um, wanting uh, their men to not be so clingy and needy and to have work. And, uh, you know, they, the women, of course, work as well. And, uh, they listen to life this. out in the burbs. Yeah, know? so they're perfect, they're perfect life. So you see Jack in uh, the IRL listening to Frank, who's some sort of Peterson esque podcaster talking about you know you, everything used to be better, and so um, they've arranged this world where uh, you you strap your woman to a bed and put mm-hmm. those eye opening things from Clockwork Orange, and then you hypnotize her and. Away she goes into this video world where she can enjoy happiness of the happiness of being a 1950s housewife, which uh, obviously uh, Florence Pugh's character becomes aware of and wants to break free of. Uh, I don't know what I mean. I I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it would Were be you? something. I yeah, I thought it would be something <laughs> more along the nature like they're being manipulated as they were, but it still being like the real them. Like I thought maybe they had been brainwashed to live the way they were, but it turning mm. out that they were honestly just had the machines in their head. Like it was all more like matrix. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Although the way I just described why I thought it cool, it being like matrix also could be used to say it was a lazy decision because mm. it was already done with matrix. But mm. I think for the kind, it's, it's so, so different from the, you know the kind of a uh, environment the matrix brings that it's not something i think you'd you'd expect were you were you expecting it was it was it or were you just kind of that, that not feeling it you didn't think it really worked i didn't know it was going to be like a matrix thing i thought maybe it was like they were sort of 
it, it you know it could be like a, a Truman Show situation where they. I thought it'd be more like that. Yeah, like meant yeah. to be relation to make them but live there. Obviously, it's set up to sort of like make you, you know, have doubts about things. But you know, it, the thing I found about it is just like the sort of the ludicrousness of the setup, which is that you know, you, you see you see this scene when sort of Alice has this realization about what is going on. Um, you see this scene where she's a doctor. And she's coming home after like a long shift and she comes home and, and Harry Styles is this unemployed, this, her boyfriend, he's unemployed, essentially sitting on the computer all day. She comes home. She's like, hey, is there hot water? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I called the guy said he can't come till tomorrow. And she's like, well, I'm hungry. Is there anything to eat? And he's like, oh, you couldn't decide what to get. You wouldn't text me back and tell me what to make for dinner. And it's and then so she's like, she's clearly exhausted. She's the breadwinner. Um, <laughs> and then he comes up behind her and starts like feeling her up. And he's like, hey, let's get, you know get down to some sex in and she's like well you know dude i was in the or for 30 hours maybe you can just let me go to sleep right now and he's like Bleh. well i think and it's supposed <laughs> to, it's it's supposed to be saying that even like a woman with you know as strong as her or you know stereotypically strong like she has like a strong job and everything even in that case like at home they're not the one under control right like they're still you I know, know people, but it's... people like him do you think too much too much in your face i think it's i think it's like I don't know if she was what was going on and again writing the screenplay. I just think that it's like if the whole thing is like incels are bad, it's like, yes, we agree, incels are bad. Um, you know, is Jordan Peterson wrong all the time? Yes, he's wrong all the time. Yeah. Is um, you know, it could I, I think the premise is is wrong. Like to to get to what I was saying, like this guy's guy's unemployed. He can't get a job to help support his girlfriend, but he can get a job so that he can pay for the matrix treatment to <laughs> you know so she can put her in the matrix and then i was also thinking it's like you know if she's lying there immobile 24 hours a day seven days a week then like he has to be like changing her linens and moving her around so she doesn't well, get yeah, bed sores of, that's kind of what when they go off to work that's yeah that's pretty much what they're going to do but my, um, my my point is though like at what point does having your girlfriend prisoner in this 1950s simulation in the matrix um become better than just like not having <laughs> your girl at all and maybe just you know living vicariously through Pornhub and you know at, w at which point does this like at which point does this option become I, more of a chore than just living with I think a, a modern woman <laughs> but I think that's a point they're trying to make that at what point is is like why to all these people like incels and stuff like what you're just wasting your time like just stop yeah. like you're just trying to, to display. It's not going to work. You're literally could be even happier yourselves just not doing this crap, right? Mm. So I think maybe they're trying to get that point across. Where, um, yeah, but uh, I could I could see why uh, it disappointed <laughs> you and why it wasn't your uh, well, your thing. The um, thing is, it, it's used as a twist, right? And I think it would have been so much interesting if it if it had been like we get halfway through and she sort of realizes it. And then it's like, well, what do I do? Like what's happening in the real world right now? And you get this, uh, Olivia Wilde, as, as I mentioned, is in the film and she plays, uh, Alice's neighbor. And yeah, you learn, really I, yeah, I think she is really good. There's this undercurrent in her performance. as like, 
is she aware that this is like a fake community or is that this is like and, a simulation yeah. and you do find out it's like yeah she volunteered to be in this because her children died in the real world and in this virtual reality she can be with her children and i'm like well that's an interesting detail i wish we had like 30 more minutes in this movie that we could explore these kind of issues but it's the climax and alice is about to run to the thing to try yeah and it's a pretty the world. major it's a pretty major drop i'll admit that it, yeah. she's she's in the film enough already that that isn't just like a little like I said, a little something quick, right? That's a pretty major mm-hmm. change. So, yeah, I uh, I would have enjoyed a bit more uh, time to think on that, but mm. um, I don't know. I, I I honestly part of it too. Mm. If it wasn't in another reality, like we didn't see the more futuristic look, mm. uh, we wouldn't have got to see those costumes, right? It would look mm. pretty cool the way they made Harry Styles look with the glasses and everything. Uh, there was a brief second I didn't even think it was Harry Styles because he was like ugly, right? And I just didn't <laughs> think that Harry, was possible. Harry and Styles I, can't be ugly. Yeah, yeah. So I just <laughs> want to say, say what you want about the twist. The costume mm-hmm. design and work on it is great. Yeah, and I mean, there's just so many like sort of little details. Like there's a scene where Alice is has a hallucination in ballet class and why they were all taking ballet is a question i would like answered but um yeah like c- were they going to put I on a performance kind of associated at some point? with the 50s, 50s <laughs> right wasp, wasp life i guess i guess but she has this vision of uh her friend margaret who has already sort of like begun to deteriorate and because she's come to the realization that this is a fake world. Kiki Lane, yeah, she uh, she yeah. was actually, I think, quite great in this. One she of the was main good. complaints, her not being it enough. Could have used more Kiki, yeah. yeah. No, she based on though, since I had heard that, I thought she wouldn't really be in it. She isn't it. She's in it an okay amount, but uh, mm. I the fact that she there was more of her mm. and that it's not it anymore sucks. I do want to say, but I also want to say, if you're a Kiki Lane fan, it's still worth it to see the film. <laughs> uh, support Kiki Lane, but yeah. no, I like. Alice has this vision of her in 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 the ballet class, and then she runs right home just in time to see um, Margaret kill herself. And I'm like, and, and my thinking was like, how does she have this premonition? Like, what's going on? Because they both realize this is fake, and like, how is this working? But I mean, there are a lot of things like that. Um, well, why later too? Um, mm. Do you like the uh, a lot of the things that like the road and the streets and the lights start to blow up right right why did that it's the same kind of thing it's something that's going on in the outside world related to it and i think right. when the street lights blow up and that sort of damage happens i think it's because some stock people for the company have like dipped out because they know mm-hmm. so it's just you got that kind of thing it's literally the company's falling apart and so of course is the uh the world right the don't worry yeah. darling universe yeah, I think I think this film would have been better suited if they had like actually instead of like keeping it as a the, the twist, if they had just like you get halfway through the film and it lays it out like okay, this is what's happening. What like how how do you like that scene where where she finally confronts Jack, Alice confronts Jack, like that could have been like an hour. Um <laughs> but it just, you know, I I feel like there was a lot of room to grow. There was a lot of avenues to explore in this if they just hadn't like made it twisty so one of the rare films you think actually should have been maybe a bit longer i don't think it should have been longer actually i thought this was a slog at two hours but um, oh, okay 
But I think if, if they had sort of reorganized some of the ideas they had differently, it could have been really compelling. But I, I think technically it's a good movie. Um, I think a lot of its ideas are half baked, but we will we will have to leave that there for this week. Unfortunately, that's the end yeah, of this and week's I, show. I understand your flaws, but I think it was quite great film. You just need to view it more visually and for your thoughts, not uh, something strongly compact. Okay, well, this will be a great review to have for the clip show because it's a rare moment of descent, of, of true, true great descent on end credits. <laughs> um, but we hope you like the show just the same. You can listen to it again uh, at our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through one of your favorite podcast apps at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on the show. Just search for end credits on CFRU in the Spotify. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where else can people find you on the internet? As per usual, Mr. Tarak on YouTube and Twitter. All right, and I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics with Open Sources Guelph. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out guelphpolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits. Maybe less contentious, but we'll see. We'll, uh, we'll see you then. <laughs>